We exist as a church to touch all people with God's message. How do we know if we're doing that? How do we measure that? What do we do to get from where we are to closer and closer to that mission to touch all those people? Well, there are a few values, a few disciplines that we seek to practice and to pursue, gathering, serving, and learning. And those three things help us get from here to there. As we have been mentioning over the last few weeks, because of the completed work of Christ on the cross, out of the grave, then returning to glory and sitting at the right hand of the Father, the Holy Spirit could now come in a way He was never able to come before. This meant taking these disciplines to a new level, redefining them, really. Gather was redefined by increase, actual people that God wants to touch by His message to them, actual people. And then a spiritual transformation, the increased work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of you and I. So, that just simple, logical conclusion of that causes us to have an invitation to gather. How many have you invited? Actual people, just like you, that need the same spiritual transformation that you have experienced. That's what gather being redefined by increase means. That he would increase his presence in your life and you would be so changed that you can't wait for everyone else to experience the same thing. So we have said that gather was redefined by increase. Serve is our next discipline. Serve is redefined as well by proximity. The first thing that that means is that God came near from the same, by, uh, from the book of the same name by Max Lucado. And there he is, Jesus, the man, the bronzed Galilean who spoke with such thunderous authority and loved with such childlike humility. The God, the one who claimed to be older than time and greater than death. Gone is the pomp of religion. Dissipated is the fog of theology. Momentarily lifted is the opaque curtain of controversy and opinion. Erased are our blinding errors and egotism. And there he stands. Jesus. Have you seen him? 
Those who first did were never the same. My Lord and my God, cried out Thomas. I have seen the Lord, exclaimed Mary Magdalene. We have seen His glory, declared John. Were not our hearts burning within us while He talked, rejoiced the two Emmaus-bound disciples. But Peter said it best. We were eyewitnesses of His majesty. His majesty, the emperor of Judah, the soaring eagle of eternity, the noble admiral of the kingdom, all the splendor of heaven revealed in a human body. For a period ever so brief, the doors to the throne room were open and God came near. His majesty was seen. Heaven touched the earth and as a result, earth can know heaven in astounding tandem, a human body housed divinity, holiness, and earthliness entwined. Has it been a while since you have seen him? If your prayers seem stale, it probably has. If your faith seems to be trembling, perhaps your vision of him has blurred. If you can't find power to face your problems, perhaps it's time to face Him. One warning. Something happens to a person who has witnessed His majesty. He becomes addicted. One glimpse of the King and you are consumed by the desire to see more of Him and say more about Him. Pew warming is no longer an option. Junk religion will no longer suffice. Sensation seeking is needless. Once you have seen his face, you will forever long to see it again. Acts chapter 3, the first 10 verses are, are a flashback to Jesus. The account of Peter and John on the way to the temple. Does it sound familiar at all to you? How about in Luke chapter 12? On the Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a, a woman was there and had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years, and she was bent over and couldn't stand up. And when Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. And then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. God came near. Luke chapter 17. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveling along the border between Samaria and Galilee, and he was going into a visit village, and there were ten men who had leprosy, and they stood at a distance and called out a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And, and when he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. As Jesus approached Jericho in Luke chapter 18, a blind man was sitting beside the roadside begging. And when he heard the crowd going by, he asked, Who is it? And they said, It's Jesus from Nazareth. And, and then he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he kept crying out. And, 
So Jesus stopped and he ordered the man brought and he said, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, I want to see. Jesus said to him, receive your sight for your faith has made you whole. God came near. Now Jesus had promised these disciples, these same disciples that we see in Acts chapter 3, that they would be able to do the very same kinds of things and more. But the point was not the miracles. Again, we get so distracted by the flash. Even in the context of this, and a couple of verses before tell us that many signs and wonders and miraculous things were being done by the apostles. That was their role. And then all the believers were together and had everything in common. That's our role. We get so enamored with the miracles. We're not so enamored with making sure everyone has what they need. The point is not the miracles. The point is proximity. This has changed everything. Just as God gathers, so we should gather and we should invite others to gather, actual people, real people, who need the same spiritual transformation as us. And just as God came near... We should look near because there is an opportunity to serve right there. The problem is the proximity is is troubling, isn't it? We prefer to be farsighted because it helps with this troubling proximity. Now, there's nothing new to this. It's been happening from the very beginning. If we consider Genesis chapter 4 and the very old story of Cain and Abel, this was a problem from the very beginning, wasn't it? Cain was jealous of Abel, and he kills him in a rage of anger. And when God comes to him and says, where's your brother? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you really are. Troubling proximity, that closeness thing. Hmm. Let's let Luke teach us again from his gospel this time. Luke chapter 10. Would you turn there? Luke chapter 10. On one occasion, we start reading in verse 25, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what's written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? Well, great answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and... And love your neighbor as yourself. Amazing. How many people asked Jesus a question and he asked them a question and they got it right? There weren't many, were there? This guy got it right. He knew the right answer. Good answer. How many of you would love to have Jesus look you in the eye and say, good answer? 
amazing. But, but he wanted to justify himself. And so he asked, who is my neighbor? Now, it's fascinating what he actually said. Justify himself. The very same word we use for our justification. That's a very important theological explanation of what God has done legally in Christ Jesus. We have been declared righteous, guilt-free, no longer to be penalized for our heinous sin against a holy God. Declared righteous in Jesus Christ. This guy wanted to justify himself. He wanted to save himself. Isn't that interesting? And yet he had the right answer. We have, so many of us, the right answer. And yet, here there's no wiggle room. It's so interesting. Am I my brother's keeper? Who is my neighbor anyway? It's not that one right there, is it? It's interesting that the only one that can acquit mankind, you, of your guilt and shame, your sin, answers that attempt to distance the proximity with an act of good towards another. There's no wiggle room here. At the end of this parable that he then teaches about the good Samaritan, there's no doubt who the neighbor is. There's no question about the priority in God's eyes. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. That is the priority. And then, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no wiggle room here. There's no attempt with a right answer to not do the right thing. The problem is we prefer being farsighted, don't we? Because it helps us with that troubling proximity. And we all have our reasons, don't we? I, a couple of years ago, I heard Andy Stanley speak to this issue. And um, the whole staff, uh, well, four of us, were able to be this week um, at a conference again with Andy Stanley. It was just outstanding. But... Um, what's remarkable to me is that he addressed us two years ago and I've never forgotten it. And he went into the fact that this whole proximity thing for us who are ministers, this is really a problem because there's just so many needs. There's so many things that need to be addressed. There's so many people that are hurting. There's so many situations that need to be cared for. There's, there's just so much. You can't do it all. And if you try, you'll kill yourself. It's, it's just impossible. You can't do it all. So, 
So we, we distance ourselves. We, we get farsighted. We, it helps us with the, with the troubling proximity. And then we say that other people have to do that. After all, Ephesians chapter 4 says that I'm supposed to be equipping other people to do the work of the ministry. So, so that means that they do it. I just help them do it. I make sure they get the right answer, and then they do it. People will not go where they're not led, of course. And, and you've got your excuses too, because after all, you pay a lot of money for four of us and others in this church to to do this. I mean, you invest so that the ministry can get done after all. I got to work hard, you know, as there were four of us in our family, two of us became missionaries. The other two said, well, somebody's got to pay for you guys to go around the world and save it. I mean, you're busy. So, I don't think the situation matters much at all. It it happened to be a problem in Genesis chapter 4 with Cain and Abel. It happened to be a problem in the time of Jesus with uh, the, the guy who had the right answer but wasn't doing the right thing. And, and then it happens to be a problem today because that parable of this good Samaritan is still here. And we all still have neighbors. So what are we going to do about that? Good question. I have a friend who's a public relations guy. He always tells me, if you ever hear somebody say good question, they don't know the answer. And I've I've watched that. That's a riot. You you watch it. Hey, that's a really good question. They have no clue now what they're going to say and what they're going to do. I mean, it's usually because it's it's a really huge issue and there aren't easy answers to it. But this has helped me a great deal. Do for the one what you wish you could do for the many. Do for one what you wish you could do for many. Well, no, I can't do that. If I start doing are you kidding me? If I start doing that, everybody's going to think and everybody's going to expect and I, there's no way. If I start it, it'll never end. That's not true. That is a lie. You do for one what you wish you could do for many. Well, what about the next one? You may not be able to do the next one. You do for one what you wish you could do for many. You see, the opposite of that, of course, would be not doing for any, anyone what you wish you would be done for many. You just do for one what you wish you could do for many. I've seen that transform people. I have. I've seen people who've taken that seriously and it's changed their lives because they've dealt with the proximity. They can't answer everything, but they can do this, and they do. Now, I know you're a little skeptical, so we have to go back to Acts chapter 3 to one more thing that I want you to see out of the passage. Easy for you to say, because after all, I don't know whether you're talking to me or you're talking to Peter. Um, You know, you get paid for this. 
Again, I'm busy working trying to make all this stuff be able to happen. How about Peter? Just days before this event where he is walking up to this temple and he runs into the proximitus to what is right there. Just before that, he was in John chapter 21. He had failed horribly. He had denied his Savior. He had told Jesus if everyone else had to die, he would remain faithful. And before the cock crowed, he had sworn, he had blasphemed and denied his Savior. And so he just went back to fishing going, who am I? I tried, okay? I tried to save you and I couldn't do it. Jesus. So I'm done. And then Jesus, God, came near. Meets Peter right where he is. Peter was lost in Peter. Even as the Lord begins to restore Peter in John chapter 21, he's he's walking, he's, well, what about this one? What about John? What about him? What did Jesus say to him? You worry about you. You feed my sheep. You care for my lambs. You feed my lambs. You take care of what's right there. And now we see him in Acts chapter 3. Not ignoring, but stopping and giving his time and what he could to that proximitous problem. Really? Oh, that's easy. He could heal him. If I could heal people, I'd do it too. If I had the power of the apostle and somebody, I'd just walk up and make them stand up too. Are you kidding? Of course I would. Think about this. Think about the proximity. This Peter is the guy who had cursed and sworn that he never knew Jesus, and he had done it in front of the very same people that are around him now. This is the guy that had cut off the ear of a slave, and Jesus has to do one last miracle before he goes to the cross to heal the guy. This is the guy that was recognized not only as a disciple, but as a big mess up. Do you really think it was easy for him to step up and try again? In any way, big or small, and in front of all of those who knew who he really was. A stupid Galilean with a funny accent who couldn't remain faithful even to his Savior. That's the problem of proximity and Jesus had him start right where he was in front of everyone who knew his failings you see sir with the present coming indwelling empowering of the Holy Spirit is redefined by proximity if you won't do it here you won't do it.
That's been my missionary experience. I grew up in a church like this one where we had a heart and a burden for reaching the world for Christ. And I arrived over in another part of the world and found myself with people who were seeking to reach a world for Christ that had never reached a neighbor. And you know what? They couldn't do it. Some of them, for the very first time in their lives, were beginning to deal with the proximity. You don't do it here, and you'll never do it. But if you will do it here, the possibilities are endless. Because God will show you what to do right there for one that you wish you could do for many. And he will give you time and opportunity and open door after open door after open door. Jesus said, I have come to serve, not to be served. And to be, give my life as a ransom for many. Do you see the balance? He came to save a world. And you think you're busy. You think you got responsibilities. He came to give his life for the world. And yet, he served those right in front of him. He wasn't too busy to do for the one what he wishes he could do for the many. And by doing so, he perfectly accomplished the plan of God. And that's all he asks us to do. So, serve is redefined by proximity. God came near and he touched you. And now he's asking you to look and see what is right there and to do for the one what you wish you could do for the many in the power of an indwelling, filling, gifting, comforting, encouraging presence of the living God. Do here. what you know he wants you to do. And if you will, the possibilities are endless. Can we reaffirm our commitment to that? Can we recommit ourselves to the simplicity but the implications of that amazing thought? I'd like us to. And I'd like us to do it around this table. So gentlemen, if you prepare yourselves, the first thing that we're going to do is remind ourselves of what we believe about God coming near. So if you take your bulletin in hand, 
and stand with me, I'd like us to recite the Apostles' Creed because this is what we believe about what a God did, the living God did, and coming near to us. And through the truths of all of this, we can then be empowered to know we can't do it all. But we can do the one thing that he offers and he gives us to do right where we are, whatever that is. And then he'll take care of the next. Because there was a day when the father said to the son, now you go and you get near. Let's read about that in the Apostles' Creed. Join with me. I believe in God the Father. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell, and the third day... And he sitteth right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come and judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Being touched by God's message starts with you. We come to the Lord's table. This is an enduring message. This is meant to touch everyone. <laughs> but it begins by touching 